So I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Early on <laughs> my career, I thought we all were on the same playing field. I think right. most women will say, I just want to be a filmmaker. I'm not a female right. filmmaker. How can I still make a film mm-hmm. if I don't have a crew and professional equipment? I'm up for a new challenge. Constantly reminding myself there's a distinction between a job and my personal work. But I basically broke premiere at some point because there's like a hundred layers of audio. It was like not how you scary because at the beginning all you want is validation. Have this really big complex conversations in a simple way. I can't believe that we're already at episode 10. Welcome back to In Her Lens and welcome to the season finale Supercut. Creating this first season of the podcast was a huge adventure. Connecting to and listening to such fantastic guests and discovering the stories behind incredible films, and for myself, professionally and creatively. In this episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different, because God, I've learned so much from the nine filmmakers that I've spoken with. Listening to their journeys and their experiences, their visions, their practical advice, chatting conceptually and honestly, I wanted to capture the biggest themes, a full picture and reflection on the season and the conversations, where they overlap, where they intersect, how they differ and how we're all connected in more ways than one. So let's just get right to it, to the tips and tricks, the highs, the balls, the no's, the yeses, the magic moments and the workable ones and all the passion in between. Starting with theme number one, choosing your story. And I intervened with nature because I wanted to save the firefly and I caught myself thinking like, why am I, if this firefly would not have a light, I would not care for it. Mm -hmm. It would not mean. So this automatically made me um, think about like the meaning of light and how attracted I am towards light. But this was a big insight. Before, like it would completely be forgotten what darkness is. I wanted to find the last darkness on the planet. So I did research, okay, what are dark uh, co- continents what are dark countries what are dark places and i kept thinking how mm. can i go to film school and i didn't find a way you know to kind of finance it to find a way you know having a child and everything so i gave up i went back to work and i found myself again in this situation where i like this is not what i want to do you know and i had a colleague who was very passionate about programming and that and he was doing it on a weekend i was like i'm not passionate i can't do it you know i can be good at it but i don't i don't care you know so (laughs) so i was just like no let me this film thing you know just forget about film school forget about getting in our relationships or you know whatever i think i need to be there and let me just try to do something let me just try to write a film let me just try to make it and then we'll see from there so i felt like okay let me try to kind of make my own film school so i make four short films I know in film school they do a lot of short films let me just make four short films and then you know take the seasons idea so that I you know make one film for every season some of my bosses kind of just threw these projects on me and they were like can you edit this documentary I had never edited anything close to a short documentary in my life so I was like yeah I'll take it whatever and I started doing it and as I was doing it I just resonated with it so much I I I don't know what it was about it that made me feel so good being honest and being a a person is also not being one kind of way Mm. and I think that's something that people really like to identify people with especially like you know online with like you know culture Um, it's like (laughs) branding is a even if it's not the most uh, obvious kind of branding it's like what kind of filmmaker are you what kind of woman are you what kind Mm. of like vibe and style do you have it's like I could be a lot of things you know and I'm, you know, still figuring out who I want to be or what kind of, you know, color that I want to wear tomorrow or whatever. It's just always changing. I think to me, it's stories that really push 
me to like, I think it's just as simple as how excited I'm feeling. If I'm working on something and I'm bored to death, I know that's not for me, you know? If I'm working on something that I'm like, holy crap, everybody needs to see this. Like, I, I can't even breathe. I need to figure this out right now. There you go. That's I think your when you start out, especially, it's important to be ambitious when it comes to what you want to say, but be not I, limited sounds negative, but be kind of concentrated when it comes to the execution of it, because that makes you way more free when it comes to uh, working with actors and having time for it to, to shoot scenes. And this is, I think, something that also a lot of people say um, is like, oh, write something that's personal. And I think like early on, we, we take that maybe a little too literally. We're like, okay, I'm going to write about the time that this terrible thing happened to me. Or like, it, it does become really personal to a point where like, whenever anyone gives you negative feedback, it feels like a personal attack. I think eventually like the whole idea of not being too precious about your work. Yes, it comes from a personal place because it comes from you. I mean, that's bound to happen anyway. And you put it out there and then it's just, it's, it's a piece of work at the end of the day. It's not you. <laughs> the film kind of started as this, like, uh, this letter to the city about how maybe just like disappointed I was in that feeling or, or something. I was just like, oh, I, I need to write this out. The aggression of the city really is just something I need to get off my chest. And, and then from there, I was like, well, what is the story? And then was thinking about, parts of the city before I left for college that really rubbed me the wrong way and kind of just want reckoning with this experience as you know chopping onions was also about reckoning with an experience and of a breaking of innocence of a of transport like a relationship with my grandmother that was changing and sort of grieving grieving and sort of coming to terms with things was sort of part of the language that I felt like I was developing as a filmmaker. They called me about this Hannah meeting and they were kind of like, look, it's probably, it's a long shot. They're going to want a pilot director with pilot experiences, you know, yeah. And, um, you know, take the meeting, don't get your hopes up kind of thing. But then I was just like, no, this is mine. And I read the script and I was like, this is mine. And, mm -hmm. and got very competitive about it and just like put together this intense pitch, went into the, the meeting guns blazing the deeper you go the more personal you go the more relatable it is to anyone i have been watching mm -hmm. straight movies my whole life and i connect with it when the movie's good every filmmaker is different because every filmmaker is passionate about something else and every filmmaker has a different view on something else i think it is my favorite part of doing the podcast is asking the question why did you choose that story? What made you want to tell that story? How did you get to that story? And I think that it always came down to one thing, and that was intuition, an instinct, a gut feeling that that is a story that you want to tell. And it's something that I learned as an actor for the first time is the more personal, the more universal. So put yourself in the equation, you and a question, you and a reckoning, you and an experience, you and a feeling, you and an interrogation. Observe the world. Ask questions, converse with other people, and most importantly, converse with yourself. And then you get to the practicalities and everything gets a little bit more difficult. Because choosing your story is one thing, but getting your story to the people is a whole other thing. So welcome to theme two, funding festivals and rejection, oh my. I got nothing but rejection. My career has been a constant stream of rejection. A person that was raised by movies like myself sometimes can have this, this fantasy in their head. 
you know, it produces a bunch of people who are way too hard on themselves and then sort of feel like they want to give up if it's too difficult or if they don't succeed fast enough. And it's just like, none of it is ever fast. You just, it's just that we only see things wet once people get to that successful phase and then right, it just right. seems easy, but you don't know like all the time and work that has gone into, we were ready to launch it for our uh, crowdfunder. Everyone's like, yo, like, this is, this is it. This is going to be a selling point. We're going to do, we're going to, people are just going to like throw money at us. <laughs> so we launched it and uh, it was cricket. Right now, funding is a bit more questionable because we don't know what the trajectory of film is going, particularly in the distribution space, right? We don't know what's happening to film festivals anymore. We don't know what the future of film holds for us um and so i think it may be more difficult to get funding but like i said use me as an example if you want to make a film with five dollars in your pocket you totally can just look for the resources around you yeah i was just in debt all the time and like taking you know i did all the things that you're they you know people it seems so romantic oh you just take out the credit cards and make films but it's also so stressful it's like oh but like then those credit card companies they call you and they call you every hour and then they track down your like loved ones and they call them mm. too and it's like <laughs> they're, they're really not it's hard to recommend that path. the reality that come of it is it is really hard you are going to lose money very likely you're not going to make money out of that project specifically forget about that part you're going to sacrifice a lot but another part of it is that you're really going to connect with people that are very passionate and very dedicated to the project and you are going to see people embracing your idea i remember a teacher told me um like you can you can teach all the technicals but you can't teach ambition and i think that really filtered out a lot of people by the end of like the, the the program because it's a lot of work i think that yeah. whole it was like a, a hazing period of being like wow this takes a lot of work you always like especially when you're starting out your career you you think if you just get over the next mountain it'll get easier right and to like some extent that's true but honestly the mountains just get steeper i think it changed a lot when i realized the difference of what gets funded and what doesn't like speaking back to crowdfunding crowdfunding is reliant on your circle of people and your friends and your community and so it's also reflected like what your social economics is um so the movie was put on hold until i got a job um editing a feature film mm -hmm. they were paying me exactly the amount of money that i needed to get the movie made i have a folder i have a folder with rejections every time i get rejected i screenshot it and put it in the folder so far i have no idea what i'm gonna do with it but it's a good reminder to myself that like you got rejected a yeah. lot so yeah. I think when it comes to applying for grants, it's in my case, like starting out small. And, and I don't think there is a festival too big or too small. Obviously South by is huge. Sundance is huge. And, and those are great to aim for, but don't overlook your little tiny doc NYC or don't overlook your, I don't know, like Iowa film festival, if that's even a thing. Just sort of gathering a list of being like, okay, this is like European festivals, these are American festivals. When you get rejected from a festival, it's maybe like three people decided that they don't like the film, or it's not even that they don't like the film. There could be like, you know, your film could be very similar to another film, and they're mm -hmm. like, you know, this one makes more sense for a program than that one. But then also mm -hmm. once you put it out there, like on Vimeo, for example, like there are so many more people who are watching it than 
the amount of people you could fit into one theater at I one time. Thought, I think it's funny when people skim the festival fee. Like they're like, oh, it's five hundred dollars. Like, no. <laughs> the truth is, you might rack up a lot of money on it. A lot of Arab filmmakers look at like what films, for example, end up getting funding or end up screening at film festivals, and they're like, oh yeah, like festival films are basically all like refugees, refugee films or war films or basically what we need to do is exploit our pain in order to get into a film festival or get funding and so it becomes this like endless cycle of like okay well this is the type of film that gets made so I'm gonna make this type of film and then it's gonna screen and it's just we're never gonna break the cycle. Talking about money isn't easy. Rejection comes with the job and creating space between you and your work might be necessary in conserving and maintaining your energy. What are things we can control? Don't underestimate, especially in times like this, your online audience. Find the people that you want to hustle with early on. Properly allocating your funds, researching festivals, and applying with purpose and on deadline. One thing I believe that we still grossly underestimate is the power of social media and the share button. You don't know who you know and who might be interested in somebody else's work. Sharing is free and your network might be golden. Putting yourself in the narrative brings us to theme three, taking the lead. Anytime someone asked if we could do something, we would just say yes, even if we didn't know how, and then we mm. would figure it out. And it was like, whatever and we also could no, get. I think turn, the most important thing for me is turning off the kind of self-hatred and self-criticism mm -hmm. because you just get lost otherwise. And, and you have yeah. to kind of very, in my case at least, very actively do that. After she experienced it, um, we went into studio together and she rented a camera and I did all the movements. Uh -huh. um, on my knees, on uh, s sitting and standing. And then she was filming them in different ways and different angles and different lenses to see what would uh, feel close and connected. So sometimes we used op opposite camera movements from the body and sometimes we moved with, with the, like back and forwards, we moved with the body. And that we also used in, in creating uh, more speed and rhythm. If you want to learn something, just do it. That's how you learn it. Like, it's like learning a language. You, I think you sitting down behind a book all day long will never make you be fluent at that language. You have to go, if you want to learn Japanese, go to Japan, spend a month there, you will come back fluent. And I had never shot anything in Egypt ever before. I hadn't lived in Egypt in like thir 13 years at the time. One of the things I learned is I, I've learned to ask for things in a more clear and direct way. Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like that's sort of not something, not an idea that like I necessarily grew up with, or it's not, I think in Arab culture, there's less of that aggressive, like asking for things. There's usually like, it's more focused on like relationship building and sort of having tea with people until you become business partners, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but here it's like, there's, especially in New York, I think there's the sense of competition and like everyone's out there hustling and being productive, whatever. And so you sort of have to be a little more aggressive with things if you want be them. such a pain in the ass for <laughs> the producers that work there. I was like, take me to the shoots with you. I want to learn what you're doing. Like, take me to everything. I want to do it. And because I started showing so much enthusiasm for it, they would just kind of just hand me things and let me do it. You know, I remember once I was on a shoot and I had no idea how to work something on the camera. And I was just like Googling and YouTubing as I went. And it happened. And I learned. I'm a huge, I have this thing called, I call it the funk. It's the fear of not knowing. It's like the FOMO, but for knowledge. I, I had the sense that like, you know, I bet you they're insecure about my ability to do action because I hadn't truthfully 
done that much of it. Um, so, and, uh, and, you know, like lady, young lady director, there's going to be, not that anyone consciously has those worries, but I, I had a feeling that that was probably part of the worry. So I decided what I was going to do for that meeting is just really focus on the action sequences. Specifically cinematography and all the technical aspects of filmmaking. Uh, to me, it started with, okay, I also need to make money. Mm-hmm. I need to pay rent and I need to have, it's really hard to have a fixed income or freelance jobs as a director if you already haven't made something that was a, or even then at Sundance or something like that. It's really hard to have steady income if you need that. So uh, cinematography allow me to get jobs all the time. I like, I like the word multifaceted. I think that is one of the most valuable things I learned as an artist is that you don't have to settle to one specific medium. If you don't know something, I think it's okay. And you just ask and you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And um... There are few things scarier than being vulnerable. Putting yourself out there and taking the lead, it takes a whole lot of guts and a whole lot of bravery. Saying no to the negative thoughts and self-doubt, looking at a challenge and grabbing the bull by the horns, so to speak. Taking up space just isn't a thing a woman is taught and it's a state of being that is continually challenged. So who tells what story? Who's sitting at the table? Why are spaces the way that they are and how are they upheld? Discussions on representation is central to this podcast. So for our final theme, who's in the room? It's also unfair for for every like minority to be taking on that burden. There is a type of representation that is packaged for straight people or for the mainstream audience. It has to be really superficial. It's a come out story that focus on the reaction of the straight people and, and then we move on from there. Or mm-hmm. it's a wife that there is a queer neighbor across the street and she's gonna leave the husband. It's about how much the relationship is suffering before. It's just the lens, mm-hmm. it's kind of always pandering towards this mainstream audience to make their them feel comfortable. It's happening on TV sometimes happening like 30 years ago. It's not my today. It's not, for example, Berlin that I walk to every day. It's not the kind of people I interact with. As I said on my set, we speak so many languages. And then I watch those right. realities and I'm like, where is that? You know? Don't let that take over everything because then sometimes it also can stifle creativity because you're trying so hard to do the right thing that you're just not taking any risks whatsoever and then it just falls flat and then and check boxy like you're just trying to you know represent for the sake of representation which just also like you know that comes off really um it's just not interesting (laughs) it's I don't think it does what art is supposed to do definitely you're walking a tightrope always because it's like for me for example I always feel like I'm talking to two audiences with anything that I make because I know like you know there's a western audience that has certain expectations and certain preconceptions about our part of the world and then there's also like an Arab audience on the other end that also has their own expectations and you know sometimes there's this like knee-jerk reaction of like don't air our dirty laundry and so then you're also like sometimes mm. too scared of like showing like of, of writing something where, you know, an Arab character does something that's like quote unquote wrong. Because right now there's no space. It is really important who occupies the space. And I think the people that are more likely to get it right 
should be the people that occupy the space. It's not anyone's job to educate anyone. It's not anyone's job to enlighten anyone. But if you value the work, that's how I think at least. Is this a relationship that I value creatively and that I want to bring forward? If that's the case, then I will put in the work to try to get that into a healthy place. For a lot me. of Arab filmmakers look at like what films, for example, end up getting funding or end up screening at film festivals. And they're like, oh yeah, like festival films are basically all like refugees, refugee films or war films, or basically what we need to do is exploit our pain in order to get into a film festival or get funding. And so it becomes this like endless cycle of like, okay, well, this is the type of film that gets made. So I'm going to make this type of film and then it's going to screen and it's just, we're never going to break the cycle. I feel like there's always been pressure for me to write stories about quote unquote, the black experience. And I don't really like that term because there's a wide range of what that experience is, and I don't think there should be a definition of it. Like my characters are from different cultures and definitely are multilingual. So I'm really struggling with, am I also expressing that in, you know, the way they talk, making subtitles mandatory for any kind of audiences because it's not in one language anymore. And that's something people right. don't do very often with film. Or do I just keep them in one language and make it easy? But my sense is that, you know, they would speak you know, sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. in a mixed way or, you know, I would, I would love to express that in a film because people who aren't yeah. used to that are always are surprised when I do it. But everybody who is like me does that, you know, just slipping between languages and everything. And I would love to see that in film because it's such a big reality of mine. For me, always a combination of knowing where I stand in relation to others. And then when I want to tackle certain uh, issues that I know I don't have full uh, uh, like a, a, a full perspective or how do you say that? like a, a thought out of opinion of mm -hmm. entering uh, welcoming other people to, to fill in the gaps and, and add their perspectives mm -hmm. to my story I'm always very open to inviting others in from the very beginning of my writing process talking and about how hard it is to be a woman or how hard it is to be an, a black person and I know that if I did that I would get more funding you know and I, I know that mm -hmm. if I put racism front and center I would get way more money for my films you know but at the end of the mm -hmm. day what I told myself is I just trust myself I do what I do and you know whoever comes on board will come and people already have come on board and I trust that it will get bigger and I trust that it will get better so I don't really care what they do in a certain sense you know I don't mm -hmm. care if they want me at the table or not I'll be there at some point <laughs> we cannot underestimate the power of film television and media as human beings we emulate what we see we are what we consume what we meet what we're confronted with and surrounded by representation and inclusion goes much deeper than just what we see physically on a screen asking the questions about who is making decisions who is writing and shaping and sharing and speaking and filling the gaps and creating the drama the love the fight the conversation the discussion it is integral that as creators of the work but also as consumers that we continue to question and when a question remains unanswered or unheard to show up and demand because art shapes culture and culture shapes states of being in all of us And this wraps up season one of In Her Lens. I want to thank Shinwe Ikori, Beatrice Brown, Farida Sahran, Yo Shaduk, Denise Ikalikum, Adina Dansinger, Yasmine Schrover, Sarah Adina Smith, and Letitia Debortoli for sharing their stories. And I want to thank you, listener, for tuning in, supporting, and showing up for these conversations. I look forward to recording season two and being back in the late spring of 2021. Till then, I hope we can all hold on to our sanities, to our health, and to each other, even at a distance. 
And my sincerest hope is that through stories, big and small, on the silver screen or on the laptop screen, that we may touch upon what makes us all human, how we're more alike than we know, and that we can open doors previously closed and meet each other with more love, respect, and understanding. So, till next time. Cheers, bye. In Her Lens is hosted and produced by yours truly, Nadine Rumer. All of our visuals are by Lara Rumer, and our music is by Daniela Wiegener. <laughs>